CD4 Granny fell to her knees as the elves approached. Oh, deary me, oh, spare my life, I am but a poor old woman and skinny also, she said. Oh, spare my life, young sir, oh, lorks. She curled up, sobbing. The Amanda looked at her in astonishment, not least at how anyone could expect to get away with something like that. Elves had been away from humans for a long time. The first elf reached her, hauled her up by her shoulder, and got a double-handed bony-knuckled punch in the area that Nanny Og would be surprised that Esme Weatherwax even knew about. The Amanda was already running. Granny's elbow caught the other elf in the chest as she set off after her. Behind her she heard the merry laughter of the elves. Diamanda had been surprised at Granny's old lady act. She was far more surprised when Granny drew level, but Granny had more to run away from. They've got horses, Granny nodded, and it's true that horses go faster than people, but it's not instantly obvious to everyone that this is only true over moderate distances. Over short distances, a determined human can outrun a horse, because they've only got half as many legs to sort out. Granny reached over and gripped Diamanda's arm. "'Head for the gap between the piper and the drummer!' "'Which ones are they?' Oh, "'You don't even know that!' "'Humans can outrun a horse, indeed. "'It was preying on Granny Weatherwax's mind "'that no one can outrun an arrow. "'Something whined past her ear. "'The circle of stones seemed as far away as ever. "'Nothing for it. "'It oughtn't to be possible. "'She'd only ever tried it seriously when she was lying down, "'or at least when she had something to lean against. "'She tried it now.' There were four elves chasing them. She didn't even think about looking into their minds. But the horses, ah, the horses. They were carnivores, minds like an arrowhead. The rules of borrowing were, you didn't hurt, you just rode inside their heads. You didn't involve the subject in any way. Well, not so much a rule as such more of a general guideline. A stone-tipped arrow went through her hat. Hardly really a guideline, even... In fact, not even... Oh, drat! She plunged into the lead horse's mind, down through the layers of barely controlled madness, which is what is inside even a normal horse's brain. For a moment she looked out through its bloodshot eyes at her own figure staggering through the snow. For a moment she was trying to control six legs at once, two of them in a separate body. In terms of difficulty, playing one tune on a musical instrument and singing a totally different one was a stroll in the country by comparison. Except for Nanny Og, who did it all the time although not on purpose. She knew she couldn't do it for more than a few seconds before total confusion overwhelmed mind and body, but a second was all she needed. She let the confusion arise, dumped it in its entirety in the horse's mind, and withdrew sharply, picking up control of her own body as it began to fall. There was one horrible moment in the horse's head. It wasn't sure what it was, or how it had got there. More importantly, it didn't know how many legs it had. There was a choice of two or four, or possibly even six. It compromised on three. Granny heard it scream and collapse noisily by the sound of things taking a couple of others with it. <laughs> she risked a look sideways at Diamanda, who wasn't there. She was in the snow some way back, trying with difficulty to get to her feet. The face she turned to Granny was as pale as the snow. There was an arrow sticking out of her shoulder. Granny darted back, grabbed the girl and hauled her upright. Come on, nearly there. I can't, I can't. Diamanda slumped forward. Granny caught her before she hit the snow, and with a grunt of effort slung her over her shoulder. A few more steps, and all she had to do was fall forward. A clawed hand snatched at her dress, and three figures fell, rolling over and over in the summer bracken. 
The elf was first to its feet, looking around in dazed triumph. It already had a long copper knife in its hand. It focused on Granny, who had landed on her back. She could smell the rankness of it as it raised the knife, and she sought desperately for a way into its head. Something flashed past her vision. A length of rope had caught the elf's neck and went tight as something swished through the air. The creature stared in horror as a flat iron whirred a few feet away from its face and swung past its ear, winding around and around with increasing speed but a decreasing orbital radius, until it connected heavily with the back of the elf's head, lifting it off its feet and dropping it heavily on the turf. Nanny Og appeared in Granny's vision. Phew, doesn't half whiff, don't it? she said. You can smell elves a mile off. Granny scrambled upright. There was nothing but grass inside the circle. No snow, no elves. She turned to Diamanda. So did Nanny. The girl was lying unconscious. Elf shot, said Granny. Oh, bugger. The point's still in there. Nanny scratched her head. I could probably get the point out, no problem, she said. But I don't know about the poison. We could tie a tourniquet round the affected part. Hmm. Her neck'd be favourite, then. Granny sat down with her chin on her knees. Her shoulders ached. Poof, got to get me breath back, she said. Images swam in the forefront of her mind. Here it came again. She knew there were such things as alternative futures, after all. That's what the future meant. But she'd never heard of alternative pasts. She could remember having just gone through the stones, if she concentrated. But she could remember other things. She could remember being in bed in her own house. But that was it. It was a house, not a cottage. But she was her. They were her own memories. She had a nagging feeling that she was asleep right now. Dully, she tried to focus on Nanny Og. There was something comfortingly solid about Githa Og. Nanny had produced a penknife. What the hell are you doing? Gone to put it out of its misery, Esme. Doesn't look miserable to me. Nanny Og's eyes gleamed speculatively. Could soon arrange that, Esme. Don't go torturing it just because it's lying down, Githa. Dumbwell ain't waiting for it to stand up again, Esme. Githa! Well, they used to carry off babbies. I ain't having that again, the thought of someone carrying off our pusey. Even elves aren't that daft. Never seen such a sticky child in all me life. Granny pulled gently at Diamanda's eyelid. Out cold, she said, off playing with the fairies. She picked the girl up. Come on, I'll carry her. You bring Mr Tinkerbell. That was brave of you, carrying her over your shoulder, said Nanny, with them elves firing arrows too. And it meant less chance of one hitting me too, said Granny. Nanny Og was shocked. What? You never thought that, did you? Well, she'd been hit already. If I'd been hit too, neither of us had got out, said Granny simply. But that's... That's a bit heartless, Esme. Heartless it may be, but headless it ain't. I've never claimed to be nice just to be sensible. No need to look like that. Now, are you coming, or are you going to stand there with your mouth open all day? Nanny closed her mouth, and then opened it again to say, What are you going to do? Well, do you know how to cure her? Me? No. Right, me neither, but I know someone who might know, she said, and we can shove him in the dungeons for now. Lots of iron bars down there, that should keep him quiet. How'd he get through? He was holding on to me. I don't know how it works. Maybe the stone force opens to let humans through or something, just so long as his friends stay inside, that's all I'm bothered about. 
Nanny heaved the unconscious elf onto her shoulders without much effort. As has been pointed out earlier in the Discworld Chronicles, entire agricultural economies have been based on the lifting power of little old ladies in black dresses. "'Smells worse than the bottom of a goat's bed,' she said. "'It's a bath for me when I get home.' "'Oh, dear,' said Granny. "'It gets worse, don't it?' "'What is magic?' "'Then there is the witch's explanation, "'which comes in two forms depending on the age of the witch. "'Older witches hardly put words to it at all, "'but may suspect in their hearts "'that the universe really doesn't know what the hell is going on "'and consists of a zillion, trillion, billion possibilities, "'and could become any one of them "'if a trained mind rigid with quantum certainty "'was inserted in the crack and twisted. "'That if you really had to make someone's hat explode, "'all you needed to do was... "'twist into that universe where a large number of hat molecules "'all decide at the same time to bounce off in different directions. "'Younger witches, on the other hand, talk about it all the time "'and believe it involves crystals, mystic forces, "'and dancing about without your drawers on. "'Everyone may be right, all at the same time. "'That's the thing about quantum.' "'It was early morning. "'Sean Ogg was on guard on the battlements of Lancre Castle.' all that stood between the inmates and any mighty barbarian hordes that might be in the area. He enjoyed the military life. Sometimes he wished a small horde would attack just so he could save the day. He daydreamed of leading an army into battle and wished the king would get one. A brief scream indicated that Hodges' Ark was giving his charges their morning finger. Sean ignored the noise. It was part of the background hum of the castle. He was passing the time by seeing how long he could hold his breath. He had any amount of ways of passing the time, since guard duty in Lankra involved such an awful lot of it. There was getting the nostrils really clean, that was a good one, or farting tunes, or standing on one leg. Holding his breath and counting was something he fell back on when he couldn't think of anything else and his meals hadn't been too rich in carbohydrates. There were a couple of loud creaks from the door knocker far below. There was so much rust on it now that the only way it could be coaxed into making any sound was to lift it up which made it squeak, and then force it mightily downwards, which caused another squeak, and if the visitor was lucky, a faint thud. Sean took a deep breath and leaned over the battlements. Halt! Who goes there? he said. A ringing voice came up from below. It's me, Sean, your mum. Oh, hello, mum. Hello, Mistress Weatherwax. Let us in, there's a good boy. Friend or foe? What? "'It's what I've got to say, Mum. It's official. "'And then you've got to say, friend.' "'I'm your mum.' "'You've got to do it properly, Mum,' said Sean, "'in the wretched tones of one who knows he's going to lose "'no matter what happens next. "'Otherwise, what's the point?' "'It's going to be foe in a minute, my lad.' "'Oh, Mum!' "'Oh, all right. Friend, then.' "'Yes, but you could... Just be saying that. Let us in right now, Sean Og. Sean saluted, slightly stunning himself with the butt of his spear. Right you are, Miss Weatherwax. His round, honest face disappeared from view. After a minute or two, they heard the creaking of the portcullis. How did you do that? said Nanny Og. Simple, said Granny. He knows you wouldn't make his daft head explode. Well, I know you wouldn't too. No, you don't. You just know I ain't done it up to now. Magrat had thought this sort of thing was just a joke, but it was true. The castle's great hall had one long, one very long dining table, and she and Verence 
sat at either end of it. It was all to do with etiquette. The king had to sit at the head of the table, that was obvious. But if she sat on one side of him, it made them both uneasy because they had to keep turning to talk to each other. Opposite ends and shouting was the only way. Then there was the logistics of the sideboard. Again, the easy option, them just going over and helping themselves, was out of the question. If kings went round putting their own food on their own plate, the whole system of monarchy would come crashing down. Unfortunately, this meant that service had to be by means of Mr Spriggins, the butler, who had a bad memory, a nervous twitch and a rubber knee, and a sort of medieval elevator system that connected with the kitchen and sounded like the rattle of a tumbrel. The elevator shaft was a kind of heat sink. Hot food was cold by the time it arrived. Cold food got colder. No one knew what would happen to ice cream, but it would probably involve some rewriting of the laws of thermodynamics. Also, the cook couldn't get the hang of vegetarianism. The traditional palace cuisine was heavy in artery-clogging dishes so full of saturated fats that they oozed out in great wobbly globules. Vegetables existed as things to soak up spare gravy and were generally boiled to a uniform shade of yellow in any case. Magret had tried explaining things to Mrs Scorbick, the cook, but the woman's three chins wobbled so menacingly at words like vitamins that she made an excuse to go back out of the kitchen. At the moment she was making do with an apple. The cook knew about apples. They were big, roasted, flowery things, scooped out and filled with raisins and cream. So Magrat had resorted to stealing a raw one from the apple loft. She was also plotting to find out where the carrots were kept. Verence was distantly visible behind the silver candlesticks and a pile of account books. Occasionally they looked up and smiled at each other. At least it looked like a smile, but it was a little hard to be sure at this distance. Apparently he'd just said something. Magrat cupped her hands around her mouth. Pardon? We need a... Sorry? What? What? Finally, Magrat got up and waited while Spriggins, purple in the face with the effort, moved her chair down towards Verence. She could have done it herself, but it wasn't what Queen's did. We ought to have a poet laureate, said Verence, marking his place in a book. Kingdoms have to have one. They write poems for special celebrations. Yes? I thought perhaps Mrs. Ogg? I hear she's quite an amusing songstress. Magrat kept a straight face. I, um, I think she knows lots of rhymes for certain words, she said. Apparently the going rate is fourpence a year and a butt of sack, said Verence, peering at the page. Or it may be a sack of butt. What exactly will she have to do, said Magrat. It says here the role of the poet laureate is to recite poems on state occasions, said Verence. Magret had witnessed some of Nanny Og's humorous recitations, especially the ones with the gestures. She nodded gravely. Provided, she said, and I want to be absolutely sure you understand me on this, provided she takes up her post after the wedding. Oh, oh dear, really? After the wedding. Oh, trust me. Well, of course, if it makes you happy. There was a commotion outside the double doors which were flung back. Nanny Og and Granny Weatherwax stamped in with Sean trying to overtake them. Oi, Mum! I'm supposed to go in first to say who it is. We'll tell them who we are. Watch her, Your Majesties, said Nanny. Blessing be upon this castle, said Granny. Magrat, there's some doctoring needs doing here. Granny swept a candlestick and some crockery onto the floor with a dramatic motion and laid Diamanda on the table. 
In fact, there were several acres of table totally devoid of any obstruction, but there's no sense in making an entrance unless you're prepared to make a mess. But I thought she was fighting you yesterday, said Magrat. Makes no difference, said Granny. Morning, Your Majesty. King Verence nodded. Some kings would have shouted for the guards at this point, but Verence did not because he was sensible. This was Granny Weatherwax, and in any case the only available guard was Sean Ogg, who was trying to straighten out his trumpet. Nanny Ogg had drifted over to the sideboard. It wasn't that she was callous, but it had been a busy few hours, and there was a lot of breakfast that no one seemed to be interested in. "'What happened to her?' said Magrat, inspecting the girl carefully. Granny looked around the room. Suits of armour, shields hanging on the walls, rusty old swords and pikes. Probably enough iron in here. "'She was shot by a... elf.' "'But!' said Magrat and Verence at the same time. Don't ask questions now. Got no time. Shot by an elf. They're horrible arrows of theirs. They make the mind go wandering off all by itself. Now, can you do anything? Despite her better nature, Magrat felt a spark of righteous ire. Oh, so suddenly I'm a witch again when you... Granny Weatherwax sighed. No time for that either, she said. I'm just asking. All you have to do is say no, then I'll take her away and won't bother you again. The quietness of her voice was so unexpected that Magrat tripped over her own anger and tried to right herself. I wasn't saying I wouldn't. I was just good. There was a series of clangs as Nanny Og lifted the silver terrine lids. Hey, they've got three kinds of eggs. Well, there's no fever, said Magrat. Slow pulse, eyes unfocused. Sean? Yes, Miss Queen? Boiled, scrambled and fried. That's what I call posh. Run down to my cottage and bring back all the books you can find. I'm sure I read something about this once, Granny. Sean? Sean paused halfway to the door. Yes, Miss Queen? On your way out, stop off in the kitchens and ask them to boil up a lot of water. We can start by getting the wound clean at any rate. But look, elves... I'll let you get on with it then, said Granny, turning away. Can I have a word with you, Your Majesty? There's something downstairs you ought to see. I shall need some help, said Magrat. Nanny'll do it. That's me, said Nanny, indistinctly, spraying crumbs. What are you eating? Fried egg and ketchup sandwich, said Nanny happily. You better get the cook to boil you too, said Magrat, rolling up her sleeves. Go and see her, she looked at the wound, and see if she's got any mouldy bread. The basic unit of wizardry is the order, or the college, or, of course, the university. The basic unit of witchcraft is the witch, but the basic continuous unit, as has already been indicated, is the cottage. A witch's cottage is a very specific architectural item. It is not exactly built, but put together over the years as the areas of repair join up, like a sock made entirely of darns. The chimney twists like a corkscrew. The roof is thatch so old that small but flourishing trees are growing in it. The floors are switchbacks. It creaks at night like a tea-clipper in a gale. If at least two walls aren't shored up with bulks of timber, then it's not a true witch's cottage at all, but merely the home of some daft old bat who reads tea leaves and talks to her cat. Cottages tend to attract similar kinds of witches. It's natural. Every witch trains up one or two young witches in their life, and when in the course of mortal time the cottage becomes vacant, it's only sense for one of them to move in. Magrat's cottage traditionally housed thoughtful witches who noticed things and wrote things down, which herbs were better than others for headaches, fragments of old stories, odds and ends like that. 
There were a dozen books of tiny handwriting and drawings, the occasional interesting flower or unusual frog pressed carefully between the pages. It was a cottage of questioning witches, research witches. I of what newt? What species of ravined salt sea shark? It's all very well a potion calling for love in idleness, but which of the 37 common plants called by that name in various parts of the continent was actually meant? The reason that Granny Weatherwax was a better witch than Magrat was that she knew that in witchcraft it didn't matter a damn which one it was, or even if it was a piece of grass. The reason that Magrat was a better doctor than Granny was that she thought it did. The coach slowed to a halt in front of the barricade across the road. The bandit chieftain adjusted his eye patch. He had two good eyes, but people respect uniforms. Then he strolled towards the coach. Morning, Jim. What do we get today, then? Er, uh, this could be difficult, said the coachman. Er, uh, there's a handful of wizards, and a dwarf, and an ape. He rubbed his head and winced. Yes, definitely an ape. Not, and I think I should make this clear, any other kind of man-shaped thing with hair on. You're right, Jim. I've had this lot ever since Aunt Moorpork. Don't talk to me about dried frog pills. The bandit chief raised his eyebrows. All right, I won't. He knocked on the coach door. The window slid down. I wouldn't like you to think of this as a robbery, he said. I'd like you to think of it more as a colourful anecdote you might enjoy telling your grandchildren about. A voice from within said, That's him! He stole my horse! A wizard's staff poked out. The chieftain saw the knob on the end. Now then, he said pleasantly, I know the rules. Wizards aren't allowed to use magic against civilians except in genuine, life-threatened situations. There was a burst of octarine light. Actually, it's not a rule, said Ridcully. It's more a guideline. He turned to Ponder Stibbons. Interest in use of Stack Lady's morphic resonator here, I hope you noticed. Ponder looked down. The chieftain had been turned into a pumpkin, although in accordance with the rules of universal humour, he still had his hat on. And now, said Ridcully, I'd be obliged if all you fellas hiding behind the rocks and things would just step out where I can see you. Hmm, very good. Mr. Stibbons, you and the librarian just pass around with a hat, please. But this is a robbery, said the coachman, and you've turned him into a fruit. A vegetable, said Ridcully. Anyway, it'll wear off in a couple of hours. And I'm oh the horse, said Casanunda. The bandits paid up, reluctantly handing over money to Ponder, and reluctantly but very quickly handing over money to the librarian. There's almost three hundred dollars, sir, said Ponder. And the horse, remember? In, in, in fact, there were two horses. I'd forgotten about the other horse until now. Capital. We're in pocket on the trip. So if these gentlemen would just remove the roadblock, we'll, uh, we'll be on our way. In fact, there was a third horse I've just remembered about. This isn't what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be robbed, shouted the coachman. Ridcully pushed him off the board. We're on holiday, he said. The coach rattled away. There was a distant cry of, And four horses, don't forget, before it rounded a bend. The pumpkin developed a mouth. Have they gone? Yes, boss. Roll me into the shade, will you? And no one see anything about this ever again. Has anyone got any dried frog pills? Verence II respected witches. They'd put him on the throne.
He was pretty certain of that, although he couldn't quite work out how it had happened. And he was in awe of Granny Weatherwax. He followed her meekly towards the dungeons, hurrying to keep up with her long stride. Uh, what's happening, Mistress Weatherwax? Got something to show you. You mentioned elves. That's right. I thought they were a fairy story. Well? I mean, you know, an, an old wives' tale. So? Granny Weatherwax seemed to generate a gyroscopic field. If you started out off balance, she saw to it that you remained there. He tried again. Don't exist, is what I'm trying to say. Granny reached a dungeon door. It was mainly age-blackened oak, but with a large barred grill occupying some of the top half. In there. Verence peered inside. Good grief. I got Sean to unlock it. I don't reckon anyone else saw us come in. Don't tell anyone. If the dwarfs and the trolls find out, they'll tear the walls apart to get him out. Why? To, to kill him? Of course, they've got better memories than humans. Well, what am I supposed to do with it? Just keep it locked up. How should I know? I've got to think. Verence peered in again at the elf. It was lying curled up in the centre of the floor. That's an elf, but it's just a long, thin human with a foxy face, more or less. I thought they were supposed to be beautiful. Oh, they are when they're conscious said Granny, waving a hand vaguely. They project this, um, this... Uh, when people look at them, they see beauty, they see something they want to please. They can look just like you want them to look. It's called glamour. You can tell when elves are around. People act funny. They stop thinking clear. Don't you know anything? I thought elves were just stories, like the Tooth Fairy. Nothing funny about the Tooth Fairy, said Granny. Very hard-working woman. I'll never know how she manages with the ladder and everything. No, elves are real. Oh, drat, listen. She turned and held up a finger. Feudal system, right? What? Feudal system. Pay attention. Feudal system. King on top, then barons and whatnot, then everyone else. Which is off to one side a bit, Granny added diplomatically. She steepled her fingers. Feudal system, like them pointy buildings heathen kings get buried in. Understand? Yes. Right. That's how the elves see things, yes? When they get into a world, everyone else is on the bottom. Slaves. Worse than slaves. Worse than animals, even. They take what they want, and they want everything. But worst of all, the worst bit is they read your mind. They hear what you think, and in self-defence you think what they want. Glamour. And it's barred windows at night and food out for the fairies and turning round three times before you talks about them and horseshoes over the door. I thought that sort of thing was, you know, the king grinned sickly. Folklore. Of course it's folklore, you stupid man. I do happen to be king, you know, said Verence reproachfully. You stupid king, your majesty. Thank you. I mean, it doesn't mean it's not true. Maybe it gets a little muddled over the years. Folks forget details. They forget why they do things. Like the horseshoe thing. I know my granny had one over the door, said the king. There you are. Nothing to do with its shape. But if you lives in an old cottage and you're poor, it's probably the nearest bit of iron with holes in it that you can find. Ah. The thing about elves is they've got no... No. Oh, uh, begins with M. Granny snapped her fingers irritably. M manners? Eh, right, but no. Um, muscle? M m mucus? M mystery? No, no, no. 
Means like seeing the other person's point of view. Verence tried to see the world from a Granny Weatherwax perspective, and suspicion dawned. Empathy? Right, none at all. Even a hunter, a good hunter, can feel for the quarry. That's what makes him a good hunter. Elves aren't like that. They're cruel for fun. And they can't understand things like mercy. They can't understand that anything apart from themselves might have feelings. They laugh a lot, especially if they've caught a lonely human or a dwarf or a troll. Trolls might be made out of rock, Your Majesty, but I'm telling you that a troll is your brother compared to elves. In the head, I mean. But why don't I know all this? Glamour. Elves are beautiful. They've got, she spat the word, style. Beauty. Grace. That's what matters. If cats looked like frogs, we'd realise what nasty, cruel little bastards they are. Style. That's what people remember. They remember the glamour. All the rest of it, all the truth of it, becomes old wives' tales. Magrat's never said anything about them. Granny hesitated. Magrat doesn't know too much about elves, she said. <laughs> she ain't even a young wife yet. They're not something that gets talked about a lot these days. It's not good to talk about them. It's better if everyone forgets about them. They... they come when they're called. Not called like, cooey! Called inside people's heads. It's enough for people just to want them to be here. Verence waved his hands in the air. I'm still learning about monarchy, he said. I don't understand this stuff. You don't have to understand. You're a king. Listen, you know about weak places in the world? Where it joins other worlds? No. There's one up on the moor. That's why the dancers were put up around it. They're a kind of wall. Ah. But sometimes the barriers between worlds is weaker, see? Like tides. At circle time. Ah. And if people act stupidly, even the dancers can't keep the gateway shut. Because where the world's thin, even the wrong thought can make the link. Oh. Verence felt the conversation had orbited back to that area where he could make a contribution. Stupidly, he said. Calling them. Attracting them. Ah. Oh. So, what do I do? Just go on raining. I think we're safe. They can't get through. I've stopped the girls so there'll be no more channeling. You keep this one firmly under lock and key and don't tell Magrat. No sense in worrying her, is there? Something came through, but I'm keeping an eye on it. Granny rubbed her hands together in grim satisfaction. I think I've got it sorted, she said. She blinked. She pinched the bridge of her nose. What did I just say? she said. Uh, you said you thought you'd got it sorted, said the king. Granny Weatherwax blinked. That's right, she said. I said that. Yes, and I'm in the castle. Yes, aren't I? Yes. Are you all right, Mistress Weatherwax? asked the king, his voice taut with sudden worry. Fine, fine, fine. In the castle. And the children are all right, too. Sorry? She blinked again. What? You don't look well. Granny screwed up her face and shook her head. Yes, the castle. I'm me. You're you. Githa's upstairs with Magret. Mm, that's right. She focused on the king. Just a bit of, uh, of overtiredness there. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> Nothing to worry about at all. 
Nanny Og looked doubtfully at Magrat's preparation. A mouldy bread poultice don't sound very magical to me, she said. Goody Wemper used to swear by it, but I don't know what we can do about the coma. Magrat thumbed hopefully through the crackling ancient pages. Her ancestral witches had written things down pretty much as they occurred to them, so that quite important spells and observations would be interspersed with comments about the state of their feet. It says here, the smally, pointy stones sometimes found are known as elf shot, being the heads of elf arrows from times past. That's all I can find, and there's a drawing. But I've seen these little stones around too. Oh, there's lots of them, said Nanny, bandaging Diamanda's shoulder. Dig them up all the time in my garden. But elves don't shoot people. Elves are good. Oh, they probably just fired at Esme and the girl in fun, like. But look, dear, you're going to be queen. It's an important job. You look after the king now, and let me and Esme look after other stuff. Being Queen, it's all tapestry and walking round in unsuitable dresses. I know Granny, she doesn't like anything that's, that's, that's got style and grace. She's so sour. I dare say she's got her reasons, said Nanny amiably. Well, that's got the girl patched up. What shall we do with her now? We've got dozens of spare bedrooms, said Magrat, and they're all ready for guests. We can put her in one of them. Um, Nanny? Yes? Would you like to be a bridesmaid? Not really, dear. Bit old for that sort of thing, Nanny hovered. There isn't anything you need to ask me, though, is there? What do you mean? What with your mum being dead and you having no female relatives and everything? Magrat still looked puzzled. After the wedding is what I'm hinting about, said Nanny. Oh, that! No, most of that's being done by a caterer. The cook here isn't much good at canapes and things. Nanny looked carefully at the ceiling. And what about after that, she said, if you catch my meaning? I'm getting a lot of girls in to do the clearing up. Look, don't worry, I've thought of everything. I wish you and Granny wouldn't treat me as if I didn't know anything. Nanny coughed. You a man, she said. Been around a bit, I expect. Been walking out with dozens of young women, I've no doubt. Why do you say that? I don't think he has. Fools don't have much of a private life, and of course he's been very busy since he's been king. He's a bit shy with girls. Nanny gave up. Oh, well, she said. I'm sure you'll work it out as your granny and the king reappeared. How's the girl? said granny. We took out the arrow and cleaned up the wound anyway, said Magrat. But she won't wake up. Best if she stays here. You sure, said Granny. She needs keeping an eye on. I've got a spare bedroom. She shouldn't be moved, said Magrat briskly. They've put their mark on her, said Granny. You sure you know how to deal with it? I do know it's quite a nasty wound, said Magrat briskly. I ain't exactly thinking about the wound, said Granny. She's been touched by them, is what I mean. She... I'm sure I know how to deal with a sick person, said Magrat, and I'm not totally stupid, you know. She's not to be left alone, Granny persisted. There'll be plenty of people around, said Verence. The guests start arriving tomorrow. Being alone isn't the same as not having other people around, said Granny. This is a castle, Granny. Right, well, 
"'We won't keep you, then,' said Granny. "'Come, Githa.' Nanny Og helped herself to an elderly lamb chop from under one of the silver covers, and waved it vaguely at the royal pair. "'Have fun,' she said, "'in so far as that's possible.' "'Githa, coming!' "'Elves are wonderful. They provoke wonder. "'Elves are marvellous. They cause marvels.' Elves are fantastic. They create fantasies. Elves are glamorous. They project glamour. Elves are enchanting. They weave enchantment. Elves are terrific. They beget terror. The thing about words is that meanings can twist just like a snake, and if you want to find snakes, look for them behind words that have changed their meaning. No one ever said, elves are nice. Elves are bad. Well, that's it, said Nanny Og, as the witches walked out over the castle's drawbridge. Well done, Esme. It ain't over, said Granny Weatherwax. You said yourself they can't get through now. No one else round here is going to try any magic at the stones, that's sure enough. Yes, but it'll be circle time for another day or so yet. Anything could happen. "'That Diamanda girl's out of it, and you've put the wind up the others,' said Nanny Og, tossing the lambone into the dry moat. "'Ain't no one else going to call them, I know that.' "'There's still the one in the dungeon.' "'You want to get rid of it?' said Nanny. "'I'll send our Sean to King Iron Founderson up at Copperhead, if you like. "'Or I could hop on the old broomstick myself and go and drop the word to the Mountain King. "'The dwarfs and trolls will take it off our hands like a shot, no more problem.' "'Granny ignored this.' "'There's something else,' she said, "'something we haven't thought of. "'She'll still be looking for a way.' "'They'd reached the town square now. "'She surveyed it. "'Of course, Verence was king, and that was right and proper, "'and this was his kingdom, and that was right and proper too. "'But in a deeper sense, the kingdom belonged to her, "'and to Githa Og, of course. "'Verence's writ only ran to the doings of mankind. "'Even the dwarfs and trolls didn't acknowledge him as king, "'although they were very polite about it.' But when it came to the trees and the rocks and the soil, Granny Weatherwax saw it as hers. She was sensitive to its moods. It was still being watched. She could sense the watchfulness. Sufficiently close examination changes the thing being observed, and what was being observed was the whole country. The whole country was under attack, and here she was, her mind unravelling. "'Funny thing,' said Nanny Og to no one in particular. "'While I was sitting up there at the dancers this morning, I thought, "'Funny thing!' "'What are you going on about now?' "'I remember when I was young there was a girl like Diamanda, "'bad-tempered and impatient and talented, "'and a real pain in the bum to the old witches. "'Don't know if you happen to remember her by any chance.' "'They passed Jason's forge, which rang to the sound of his hammer.' "'I never forget her,' said Granny quietly. "'Funny how things go round in circles.' "'No, they don't,' said Granny Weatherwax firmly. "'I wasn't like her. "'You know what the old witches round here were like, "'set in their ways, no more than a bunch of old wart charmers. "'And I wasn't rude to them. "'I was just firm, forthright. "'I stood up for myself. "'Part of being a witch is standing up for yourself. You, "'You're grinning.' "'Just wind, I promise.' It's completely different with her. No one's ever been able to say I wasn't open to new ideas. Well, known for being open to new ideas, you are, said Nanny Og. I'm always saying that. Esme Weatherwax, she's always open to new ideas. Right. 
Granny Weatherwax looked up at the forested hills around the town and frowned. The thing is, she said, girls these days don't know how to think with a clear mind. You've got to think clearly and not be distracted. That's Magrat for you, always being distracted. It gets in the way of doing the proper thing. She stopped. I can feel her, Githa, the queen of the fairies. She can get her mind past the stones. Blast that girl. She's got a way in. She's everywhere. Everywhere I look with my mind, I can smell her. Everything's going to be all right, said Nanny, patting her on the shoulder. You'll see. She's looking for a way, Granny repeated. Good morrow, brothers, and where hap do we wist this merry day? said Carter the baker. The rest of the Lancra Morris men looked at him. You want some kind of medication or what? said Weaver the Thatcher. Just trying to enter the spirit of the thing, said Carter. That's how rude mechanicals talk. Who are rude mechanicals? said Baker the Weaver. They are the same as comic artisans, I think, said Carter the Baker. <laughs> I asked my mum what artisans are, said Jason. Yeah, they're us. And we're rude mechanicals as well, said Baker the Weaver. I reckon. Bum. Well, we certainly don't talk like these buggers in the writing, said Carter the Baker. I never said fold de roll in my life, and I can't understand any of the jokes. You ain't supposed to understand the jokes. This is a play, said Jason. Drawers, said Baker the Weaver. Oh, shut up and push the cart. <laughs> Don't see why we couldn't do the stick and bucket dance, mumbled Taylor the other weaver. We're not doing the stick and bucket dance. I never want to hear any more ever about the stick and bucket dance. I still get twinges in my knees, so shut up about the stick and bucket dance. Billy! shouted Baker, who wasn't a man to let go of an idea. The cart containing the props bumped and skidded on the rutted track. Jason had to admit that Morris dancing was a lot easier than acting. People didn't keep turning up to watch and giggle. Small children didn't stand around jeering. Weaver and Thatcher were in almost open rebellion now and mucking up the words. The evenings were becoming a constant search for somewhere to rehearse. Even the forest wasn't private enough. It was amazing how people would just happen to be passing. Weaver stopped pushing and wiped his brow. "'You'd have thought the blasted oak would have been safe,' he said, "'half a mile from the nearest path, "'and damn me if after five minutes you can't move "'for charcoal burners, hermits, trappers, tree-tappers, "'hunters, trolls, bird-limers, hurdle-makers, "'swine-herds, truffle-hunters, dwarfs, bodgers, "'and suspicious buggers with big coats on. "'I'm surprised there's room in the forest for the bloody trees. "'Where to now?' They'd reached a crossroads, if such it could be called. "'Don't remember this one,' said Carpenter, the poacher. "'Thought I knew all the parts round here.' "'That's cos you only ever sees them in the dark,' said Jason. "'Yeah, everyone knows tis your delight on a shining night,' said Thatcher the carter. "'Tis his delight every night,' said Jason. "'Hey,' said Baker the weaver, "'we're getting really good at this rude mechanism, ain't we?' Let's go right, said Jason. Nah, it's all briars and thorns that way. All right, then, left then. It's all winding, said Weaver. What about the middle road, said Carter. 
Jason peered ahead. There was a middle track, hardly more than an animal path, which wound away under shady trees. Ferns grew thickly alongside it. There was a general green, rich, dark feel to it, suggested by the word bosky, i.e. having a lot of bosk. His blacksmith's senses stood up and screamed. Not that way, he said. Oh, come on, said Weaver. What's wrong with it? Goes up to the dancers, that path does, said Jason. Me mum said no one was to go up to the dancers because of them young women dancing around in the nude. Yeah, but they been stopped from that, said Thatcher. Old Granny Weatherwax put her foot down hard and made him put the drawers on. And they ain't to go there any more neither, said Carter, so it'll be nice and quiet for the rehearsing. Me mum said no one was to go there, said Jason, a shade uncertainly. Yeah, but she probably meant, you know, with magical intent, said Carter. Nothing magical about prancing around in wigs and stuff. Right, said Thatcher, and it'll be really private. And, said Weaver, if any young woman fancies sneaking back up there to dance around without the drawers on, we'll be sure to see them. There was a moment of absolute introspective silence. I reckon, said Thatcher, voicing the unspoken views of nearly all of them, we owes it to the community. Well, said Jason, me mum said... Anyway, your mum's a fine one to talk, said Weaver. My dad said that when he was young, your mum hardly ever had... Oh, all right, said Jason, clearly outnumbered. Can't see it can do any harm. We're only acting. It's... it's make-believe. It's not as if it's anything real. But no one's to do any dancing. Especially, and I want everyone to be absolutely definite about this, the stick-and-bucket dance. Oh, we'll be acting all right, said Weaver, and keeping watch as well, of course. It's our duty to the community, said Thatcher again. Make-believe is bound to be all right, said Jason, uncertainly. Clang, boing, clang, ding... The sound echoed around Lancre. Grown men, digging in their gardens, flung down their spades and hurried for the safety of their cottages. Clang, boing, doing, ding. Women appeared in doorways and yelled desperately for their children to come in at once. Bang, bugger it. Dong, boing. Shutters thundered shut. Some men, watched by their frightened families, poured water on the fire and tried to stuff sacks up the chimney. Nanny Og lived alone because she said old people needed their pride and independence. Besides, Jason lived on one side and he or his wife, what's her name, could easily be roused by means of a boot applied heavily to the wall. And Sean lived on the other side and Nanny had got him to fix up a long length of string with some tin cans on it in case his presence was required. But this was only for emergencies, such as when she wanted a cup of tea or felt bored. Bong! Drat! Clang! Nanny Og had no bathroom, but she did have a tin bath, which normally hung on a nail on the back of the privy. Now she was dragging it indoors. It was almost up the garden, after being bounced off various trees, walls and garden gnomes on the way. Three large black kettles steamed by her fireside. Beside them were half a dozen towels, the loofah, the pumice stone, the soap, the soap for when the first soap got lost the ladle for fishing spiders out, the waterlogged rubber duck with the prolapsed squeaker, the bunion chisel, the big scrubbing brush, the small scrubbing brush, the scrubbing brush on a stick for difficult crevices, the banjo, 
the thing with the pipes and spigots that no one ever really knew the purpose of, and a bottle of Clatchian Knight's bath essence, one drop of which could crinkle paint. Bong, clang, slam. Everyone in Lancre had learned to recognise Nanny's pre-ablutive activities out of self-defence. It ain't April, neighbours told themselves as they drew the curtains. In the house just up the hill from Nanny Og's cottage, Mrs. Skindle grabbed her husband's arm. The goat's still outside. Are you mad? I ain't going out there. Not now. You know what happened last time? It was paralysed all down one side for three days, man, and we couldn't get it down off the roof. Mr. Skindle poked his head out of the door. It had all gone quiet. Too quiet. She's probably pouring the water in, he said. You've got a minute or two, said his wife. Go on, or we'll be drinking yoghurt for weeks. Mr. Skindle took down a halter from behind the door and crept out to where his goat was tethered near the hedge. It, too, had learned to recognise the bath-time ritual and was rigid with apprehension. There was no point in trying to drag it. Eventually, he picked it up bodily. There was a distant but insistent sloshing noise and the bonging sound of a floating pumice stone bouncing on the side of a tin bath. Mr. Skindle started a run. Then there was the distant tinkle of a banjo being tuned. The world held its breath. Then it came, like a tornado sweeping across a prairie. I... Three flower pots outside the door cracked, one after the other. Shrapnel whizzed past Mr. Skindle's ear. Wizard stuff has a knob on the end, knob on the end. He threw the goat through the doorway and leapt after it. His wife was waiting and slammed the door shut behind him. The whole family, including the goat, got under the table. It wasn't that Nanny Og sang badly. It was just that she could hit notes which, when amplified by a tin bath half full of water, ceased to be a sound and became some sort of invasive presence. There had been plenty of singers whose high notes could smash a glass, but Nanny's high C could clean it. The Lancre Morris men sat glumly on the turf, passing an earthenware jug between them. It had not been a good rehearsal. Don't work, does it? said Thatcher. It's not funny. That I do know, said Weaver. Can't see the king killing himself laughing at us playing a bunch of mechanical artisans that's not being very good at doing a play. You're just no good at it, said Jason. We're supposed to be no good at it, said Weaver. Yeah, but you're no good at acting like someone who's no good at acting, said Tinker. I don't know how, but you ain't. You can't expect all the fine lords and ladies... A breeze blew over the moor, tasting of ice at midsummer. To laugh at us not being any good at being no good at acting. I don't see what's funny about a bunch of rude artisans trying to do a play anyway, said Weaver. Jason shrugged. It says all the gentry. A tang on the wind, the sharp tin taste of snow. In Ark Moorpork laughed at it for weeks and weeks, he said. It was on Broadway for three months. What's Broadway? That's where all the theatres are. The Disc, Lord Winkin's men, the Bear Pit. They'd laugh at any damn thing down there, said Weaver. Anyway, they all think we're all simpletons up here. They all think we say, ooh ah, and sing daft folk songs and have three brain cells huddling together for warmth because of drinking scumble all the time. Yeah, pass that jug, swish city bastards. They don't know what it's like to be up to the armpit in a cow's backside on a snowy night. <laughs> and there ain't one of them that... What are you talking about? You ain't got a cow. 
No, but I know what it's like. They don't know what it's like to get one welly sucked off in a farmyard full of gippo and that horrible moment when you wave the foot around knowing that wherever you puts it down it's going to go through the crust. The stoneware jug glugged gently as it was passed from hand to unsteady hand. True, that's very true. And you ever seen a Morris dancing? Enough to make you hang up your hanky. What, Morris dancing? In a city? Ha! <laughs> Well, down in Stow Hill it anyway, bunch of soft wizards and merchants. I watched them a whole hour, and there wasn't even a groinin'. Swish city bastards, coming up to you, taking our jobs. Don't be daft, they don't know what a proper job is. The jug glugged, but with a deeper tone suggesting that it contained a lot of emptiness. Bet they've never been up to the armpit. The point is, the point is, the point, the point is... <clears throat> All laughing at decent rude artisans, eh? I mean, I mean, I mean, what's it all about? I mean, I mean, plays all about some mechanical rude buggers making a pig's ear out of doing a play about a bunch of lords and ladies. A chill in the air, sharp as icicles. It needs something else. Right, right. A mythic element. Right, my point, my point, my point. Needs a plot that they can go home whistling. Exactly. So it should be done here, in the open air, open to the sky and the hills. Jason Og wrinkled his brows. They were always pretty wrinkled anyway, whenever he was dealing with the complexities of the world. Only when it came to an iron did he know exactly what to do. But he held up a wavering finger and tried to count his fellow thespians. Given that the jug was now empty, this was an effort. There seemed on average to be seven other people. But he had a vague, nagging feeling that something wasn't right. Out here, he said uncertainly. Good idea, said Weaver. Wasn't it your idea, said Jason. I thought you said it. I thought you did. Who cares who said it, said Thatcher. It's a good idea. Seems right. What was that about the mythic quality? <laughs> What's mythic? Something you've got to have, said Weaver, theatrical expert. Very important, your mythics. Me mum said no one was to go, Jason began. We shan't be doing any dancing or anything, said Carter. I can see you don't want people skulking around up here by themselves doing magic. But it can't be wrong if everyone comes here. I mean, the king and everyone. Your mam too. <laughs> I'd like to see any girls with no drawers on get past her. I don't think it's just, Jason began... "'And the other one will be there too,' said Weaver. "'They considered Granny Weatherwax. "'Core, she frightens the life out of me, her,' said Thatcher, eventually. "'The way she looks right through you. "'I wouldn't say a word against her, Mark, you. "'Fine figure a woman,' he said loudly, "'and then added rather more quietly, "'but they do say she creeps around the place of nights.' As a hare, or a bat, or something, changes her shape and all. Not that I believe a word of it. He raised his voice, then let it sink again. But old Weezen over in Slice told me once, he shot a hare in the leg one night, and next day she passed him on the lane, and said, Ouch! and gave him a right ding across the back of his head. My dad said, said Weaver, that one day he was leading our old cow to market and it took ill and fell down in the lane near her cottage and he couldn't get it to move and he went up to her place and he knocked on the door and she opened it and before he could open his mouth she said, Your cow's ill, Weaver, just like that. And then she said, 
"'Was that the old brindled cow what your dad had?' said Carter. "'No, it was my uncle had the brindled cow. "'We had the one with the crumpled horn,' said Weaver. "'Anyway, could have sworn it was brindled,' said Carter. "'I remember my dad looking at it over the edge one day and saying, "'That's fine brindling on that cow. "'You don't get brindling like that these days. "'That was when you had that old field alongside Cab's well.' "'We never had that field. "'It was my cousin had that field,' said Weaver. "'Anyway, you sure?' "'Anyway,' said Weaver. "'She said, you wait there. "'I'll give you something for it.' "'And she goes out into her back kitchen "'and comes back with a couple of big red pills. "'And she... "'How'd it get crumpled, then?' said Carter. "'And she gave him one of the pills and said, "'What you do, you raise the old cow's tail "'and shove this pill where the sun don't shine. "'And in half a minute she'll be up and running as fast as she can. "'And he thanked her, and then as he was going out the door, "'he said, "'What's the other pill for?' "'And she gave him a look and said, "'Well, you want to catch her, don't you?' <laughs> "'That'll be that deep valley up near Slice,' said Carter. "'They looked at him. "'What exactly are you talking about?' said Weaver. "'It's right behind the mountain,' said Carter, nodding knowingly. "'Very shady there. "'That's what she meant, I expect. "'The place where the sun doesn't shine. "'Long way to go for a pill, but I suppose that's which is for you.' "'Weaver winked at the others. "'Listen,' he said, "'I'm telling you she meant, well, where the monkey put his nut.' Carter shook his head. "'No monkeys in slice,' he said. His face became suffused with a slow grin. "'Oh, I get it! (laughs) She was daft!' "'Them playwriters down in Ark,' said Baker. "'Boy, they certainly know about us. Pass me the jug.' Jason turned his head again. He was getting more and more uneasy. His hands, which were always in daily contact with iron, were itching. "'Reckon we ought to be getting along home now, lads,' he managed." "'It's nice night,' said Baker, staying put. "'Look at them stars a-twinkling.' "'Turned a bit cold, though,' said Jason. "'Smells like snow,' said Carter. "'Oh, yeah,' said Baker. "'That's right, snow at midsummer. "'That's what they get where the sun don't shine.' "'Shut up, shut up, shut up,' said Jason. "'What's up with you? "'It's, it's wrong. "'We shouldn't be up here. "'Can't you feel it?' "'Oh, sit down, man,' said Weaver. "'It's fine. Can't feel nothing but the air. "'And there's still more scumble in the jug.' Baker leaned back. "'I remember an old story about this place,' he said. "'Some man went to sleep up here once when he was out hunting.' The bottle glugged in the dusk. "'So what? I can do that,' said Carter. "'I go to sleep every night. Regular.' "'Ah, but this man, when he woke up and went home, "'his wife was carrying on with someone else "'and all his children had grown up and he didn't know who he was.' "'Happens to me just about every day,' said Weaver gloomily. "'Baker sniffed. "'You know, it does smell a bit like snow, you know? "'That kind of sharp smell.' "'Thatcher leaned back, cradling his head on his arm.' "'Tell you what,' he said, "'if I thought my old woman had married someone else "'and my hulking great kids bugger off "'and stop eating up the larder every day, "'I'd come up here with a blanket like a shot. (laughs) "'Who's got that jug?' "'Jason took a pull out of nervousness "'and found that he felt better "'as the alcohol dissolved his synapses. "'But he made an effort. "'Hey, lads,' he slurred, "'we got another jug cooling in the water trough "'down in the forge. "'What you say? "'We could all go down there now. "'Lads?' Lads? 
there was the soft sound of snoring. Oh, lads! Jason stood up. The stars wheeled. Jason fell down, very gently. The jug rolled out of his hands and bounced across the grass. The stars twinkled. The breeze was cold. And it smelled of snow. The king dined alone, which is to say he dined at one end of the big table and Magrat dined at the other, but they managed to meet up for a last glass of wine in front of the fire. They always found it difficult to know what to say at moments like this. Neither of them was used to spending what might be called quality time in the company of another person. The conversation tended towards the cryptic. And mostly it was about the wedding. It's different for royalty. For one thing, you've already got everything. The traditional wedding list, with the complete set of Tupperware and the twelve-piece dining set, looks a bit out of place when you've already got a castle with so many furnished rooms that have been closed up for so long that the spiders have evolved into distinct species in accordance with strict evolutionary principles. And you can't simply multiply it all up and ask for an army in a red-and-white motif to match the kitchen wallpaper... Royalty, when they marry, either get very small things like exquisitely constructed clockwork eggs or large bulky items like duchesses. And then there's the guest list. It's bad enough at an ordinary wedding, what with old relatives who dribble and swear, brothers who get belligerent after one drink, and various people who aren't talking to other people because of what they said about our Sharon. Royalty has to deal with entire countries who get belligerent after one drink, and entire kingdoms who have broken off diplomatic relations after what the Crown Prince said about our Sharon. Verence had managed to work that all out, but then there were the species to consider. Trolls and dwarfs got on all right in Lancre by the simple expedient of having nothing to do with one another, but too many of them under one roof, especially if drink was flowing, and especially if it was flowing in the direction of the dwarfs and people would be breaking people's arms off because of what more or less their ancestors said about Sharon. And then there's other things. How's the girl they brought in? I've told Millie to keep an eye on her. What are they doing, those two? I don't know. You're king, aren't you? Verence shifted uneasily. But they're witches. I don't like to ask them questions. Why not? They might give me answers, and then what would I do? What did Granny want to talk to about? Oh, yeah, you, you know, uh, things. It wasn't about sex, was it? Verence suddenly looked like a man who had been expecting a frontal attack and suddenly finds nasty things happening behind him. No, why? Nanny was trying to give me motherly advice. It was all I could do to keep a straight face. Honestly, they both treat me as if I'm a big child. Oh, no, uh, nothing like that. They sat on either side of the huge fireplace, both crimson with embarrassment. Then Magrat said, Um, did you send off for that book, did you? You know, the one with the woodcuts? Oh, yes, uh, yes I did. It ought to have arrived by now. Well, we only get a mail cooch once a week. I expect it'll come tomorrow. I'm fed up with running down there every week in case Sean gets there first. You are king. You could tell him not to. Don't like to, really. He's so keen. A large log crackled into two across the iron dogs. Can you really get books about that? You can get books about anything. They both stared at the fire. Verence thought, she doesn't like being a queen. I can see that. But that's what you are when you marry a king. All the books say so. And Magrat thought... 
He was much nicer when he was a man with silver bells on his hat and slept every night on the floor in front of his master's door. I could talk to him then. Verence clapped his hands together. Well, that's about it then. Busy day tomorrow. What with all the guests coming and everything? Yes, it's going to be a long day. Very nearly the longest day. <laughs> yes. I expect they've put warming pans in our beds. Has Sean got the hang of it now? I hope so. I can't afford any more mattresses. It was a great hall. Shadows piled up in the corners, clustered at either end. I suppose, said Magrat very slowly as they stared at the fire, they haven't really had many books here in Lancre up until now. Literacy is a great thing. They got along without them, I suppose. Yes, but not properly. Their husbandry is really very primitive. Magrat looked at the fire. Their wifery wasn't up to much either, she thought. So, uh, we'd better be off to bed then, do you think? I suppose so. Verence took down two silver candlesticks and lit the candles with a taper. He handed one to Magrat. Good night, then. Good night. They kissed and turned away and headed for their own rooms. The sheets on Magrat's bed were just beginning to turn to brown. She pulled out the warming pan and dropped it out of the window. She glared at the garderobe. Magrat was probably the only person in Lancre who worried about things being biodegradable. Everyone else just hoped things would last and knew that damn near everything went rotten if you left it long enough. At home, correction, at the cottage where she used to live, there had been a privy at the bottom of the garden. She'd approved of it. With a regular bucket of ashes and a copy of last year's almanac on a nail and a bunch of grapes cut out on the door, it functioned quite effectively. About once every few months, she'd have to dig a big hole and get someone to help her move the shed itself. The garderobe was this, a sort of small, roofed-in room inside the wall with a wooden seat positioned over a large square hole that went all the way down to the foot of the castle wall far below, where there was an opening from which biodegradability took place once a week by means of an organodynamic process known as Shornog and his wheelbarrow. That much Magrat understood. It kind of fitted in with the whole idea of royalty and commonality. What shocked her were the hooks. They were for storing clothes in the garderobe. Millie had explained that the more expensive furs and things were hung there. Moths were kept away by the draught from the hole and the smell. Really true. That's why people stand aside when kings go past. Magrat had put her foot down about that at least. Now she lay in bed and stared at the ceiling. Of course she wanted to marry Verence, even with his weak chin and slightly runny eyes. In the pit of the night, Magrat knew that she was in no position to be choosy, and getting a king in the circumstances was a stroke of luck. It was just that she had preferred him when he'd been a fool. There's something about a man who tinkles gently as he moves. It was just that she could see a future of bad tapestry and sitting looking wistfully out of the window. End of CD 4